0: The trigger on the stack. My name is Frankie, and this is my co-host Alex. We're excited to talk to you about March of the Machines. But before we do, Alex, tell us a little bit about your involvement with Magic now, and uh, you know how you got into the game.
1: So I'll just start at the beginning because that's a very good place to start. As a uh, musical once told me, I don't remember <laughs> the name of it. Uh, a little known musical, probably. <laughs> uh, I started. I well, I learned to play the game. Uh, just in between finals and high school once, and the game just kind of stuck to me. The card that comes to mind the most from that time period before I actually started playing is Tormod's Crypt, because that's the card that stuck in my mind, like being a free card that I could play. That was interesting to me, because I've always been like strategically minded and I like these sort of games. So I went out and purchased some stuff and started playing in high school, you know, casually and such, and then I eventually got into the more competitive scene like, competitive, in huge air quotes, because we're talking, like, local f nothing crazy. And then I became a regular at a local store and started running tournaments as a TO. And then that store closed, unfortunately, for various reasons. So then I stopped TOing for a little while. Uh, TOing means tournament organizing. It's not judging, it's something else. Thank you, because I I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's people who run the tournament behind the scenes more. Granted, I did a lot of the judging calls for those, too, but I wasn't, like,
0: actually. So, Alex, where did you go after the the store closed?
1: Kind of nowhere. I was in college at the time, so I was in college out of town. So I didn't really... I didn't... I came back from college to find out the store had been closed, which was a huge shock for me. So I just didn't do anything. We just went to some other less local game stores to hang out with the old group of friends... But it was never really the same until the current LGS I frequent opened it up. They knew me. They saw me TL before, so I started doing it again. So I spent some time recently digging, looking, and I, I'll i just cut this long story into a short bit. I am now a level one judge. I passed my judge chest a couple months ago. I have since judged two RCQs, not as head judge, but as a floor judge, and I have judged countless events as both a TO and a judge at this point, probably like 10 years since I started playing Magic. Yeah, that's me. What about you, Frank?
0: Yeah, so I casually started playing Magic with some of my friends at rehearsal in high school. We would just play with whatever cards he had. I can't even tell you what set it was. And from playing that way, I got really into... The local LGS that I went to out in Oak Park, formerly the Gaming Goat, now Grandmaster Games, played in their standard events every week. I played Solt Agro Aggro, and I played Magic at LGS level from Innistrad, Return to Ravnica block, through Amonkhet. Went off to college, didn't really like the store that was out there, didn't have any money to play Magic. <laughs> So I quit for a time, sold what I had of my cards like right before I got married to prepare for the wedding, and then about a year and a half ago, I was playing Legends of Runeterra, the League of Legends variant of Magic, and I was like, oh man, this really makes me miss Magic. Again. And from there, went to pre-release and just dropped Midnight Hunt, and so now I play at LGSs three times a week, Modern, Draft, Pioneer. And then I'd say I'm a semi-grinder of like the RCQ large tournament circuits. You and I went out to the energy team event in Ohio. I did the energy 10K here in the Chicago area and do about three or four RCQs. Top aided three over the summer, four in the fall, and two this so yeah, I wouldn't say that I'm like I I not really a grinder, but I like to say semi, semi grinder. Um, so yeah, that that's uh, me. Definitely favorite in the terms of formatting. Pioneer Limited is really where I like to spend my time. When you're not judging, you know, what, uh, what magic are you playing? So I've played,
1: oh my gosh, so many formats. I played, do you remember Frontier? No, that was before you. No. <laughs> that was in between you. Uh, Frontier existed uh, it was a format that went ran from M15 forward. Uh, terrible format. Zero out of ten. It was uh, the first attempt Wizards had at Pioneer, and it just was not good. So I played that. I have played Pioneer, which is good. Modern, which is also good. I've played Legacy. I am a limited junkie. That's... My expertise is limited. Did I say I've played Standard? I guess Standard is still a format.
0: Yeah, I mean, I... I play a little bit of standard on Arena, just because I know that the regional championship qualifiers, like the step that's beyond RCQ, they like standard is coming back to those events. So I try and keep up because of that. But yeah, but other than that, I uh, you know don't don't play a ton of that. A little bit about you know where we're at, where we're playing Magic, our favorite stores.
1: Yeah. So the main store I judge for and play at is
0: uh, Boar's Head Gaming
1: in Elgin, because uh, I live in South Elgin. Have run, or have judged events at Evanston Games in Evanston, Illinois as well. Potentially maybe running, or not running necessarily, but judging events at other stores depending on uh, whether or not they need me and like who is head judging and such. So that's kind of how judging works. Is like once you get your name in there and good word in, people start asking for you to come back and such that's... Because I've already judged one at Evanston, and I'm going to judge another one at the end of the month. I don't think they asked for me specifically, but I was, like, the first person the head judge thought of. Because I had already done one there, and it left a good
0: impression. Great. Yeah, I, you know, I play my two weekly spots. are Grognard Games on Roselle. Boar's Hat is where I spend the majority of my time. And then a few places for RCQs, like Hyde Park is a frequent griffonest in Woodstock uh, pastimes, and then whenever there are energy events that are within four hours of driving, uh, well, trigger on the stack. Our podcast just starting, first episode. What like what's our goal here for trigger on the stack? Well, mainly it's to focus on paper play. A lot of uh, magic today is centered around arena or MTGO, because right, that's where streaming lives. And we absolutely think that that's great and fine, but we wanna focus mainly on paper magic and how to prepare for paper events, your pre-releases, your local LGS events, and then, you know, RCQ season, what that looks like. And in addition, right, most podcasts are focused on a format, whether that be limited, modern, pioneer, etc. cetera. We're trying to be a well-rounded podcast and spend a little bit of time on each because that's what we do in person for our uh, events that we play in, as well as discussing the meta and advice that we have pioneer limited sealed. Sealed in particular is a, is a hot button because unlike arena or for opens that happen, right? If you're planning to go to an RCQ, you have to be prepared to play in a sealed event and then what draft will look like for top eight. And so we will spend more time on sealed than the majority of podcasts, as well as our other formats. Today, specifically, we're gonna be focusing on Marching the Machines and gearing up for this next week, pre-release weekend. A couple shout outs before we continue, one, uh, we uh, just formed our Patreon, so those that are listening. Patreon page is patreon.com slash triggeronthestack. You can subscribe to our Patreon to, A, support uh, the work that we're doing and starting as a new podcast, Magic and Paper Play, and around the Chicagoland area. Uh, the second reason is to get some uh, perks, which have not all been decided on yet. But we will um, you know, be having a couple tier levels of perks for you that want to join. So please stay tuned. The other thing is if you want to see Alex and myself playing uh, some magic, we don't have our YouTube channel up as of yet, but a big shout out to MTG Chicago, where you can see a lot of live recordings, point of view recordings of some of my matches in Pioneer and Modern. And if you see the occasional uh, mill deck via Grinding Station or via just Demir Mill, uh, it's probably Alex playing against me. So um, oh, shout well, out I'm there. I'm a little
1: bit more versatile than
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but for the video's sake, that's what we see you on. Yeah, you're right. Um, so please check out MTG Chicago on YouTube. Uh, we'll release our own channel later. And another thing about our podcast is that we're really big on supporting uh, local stores. We want to not only create content that is enjoyable for anyone listening to our podcast, but we want you to support local stores because of how they've impacted us and they're impacting uh, you know, the communities, at least here in the Chicagoland area, and I'm sure around the country. All right, next segment in our uh, podcast here is to get to mechanics thinking of mom, pre-release, and uh, how these mechanics should be thought about by the players so you know you can be prepared for this upcoming weekend. So we have as returning mechanics and new mechanics, companion, convoke, incubate, transforming DFCs, backup, and last but not least, battle. We'll have our handy dandy judge, Alex, uh, give us some insight on these let's start with a uh, battle alex kick us off
1: all right so the invasion of belanon is two and a white for a battle siege as a siege enters choose an opponent to protect it you and others can attack it when it's defeated exile it then cast a transform that cast is important because you can counter the backside. so for invasion of belanon specifically when it enters the battlefield uh get a two two White and blue night creature token with vigilance. All of the battles do something when they enter. Whether that thing is worth the price of the card or not, it highly depends. And then it enters with five defense counters as well. Just like Planeswalker loyalty defense counters, when it ticks to zero, the thing is dead. Except in this case, you want it to tick to zero. As opposed to with Planeswalkers, you don't.
0: Question in regards to battles. Is it based off of the amount of damage that's done to the battle, or how many creatures are attacking each battle? Damage done. Yeah. You can also, if the, for example, Lightning Bolt, that's a card
1: everybody knows. You can target a battle with it now, because it is any target. It's just an additional target that's been added to the game. If you bolt a battle to zero or less defense counters, it will transform and you can cast it. Don't bolt your opponent's battles.
0: With Okay, question then, an additional question about battles... Right. One of the battles that you mentioned is a sorcery. So if you end up bolting, are you still able to cast that sorcery? Like do you do have to bolt it on your turn to be able to cast the backside. No, these cards all re- ignore timing restrictions when
1: cast on the reverse side. Uh, otherwise they wouldn't work.
0: <laughs> Good. That makes sense. Uh, otherwise it would be vastly complicated. Um, But that sounds awesome. How do you think battles are going to be? Like, what is your, like, pulse on how good battles will be?
1: Watsi's been pretty good about making the keynote mechanics of the set uh, pretty playable for Limited and also relatively strong. This is the keynote mechanic for March of the Machine, and I think it's going to play like a subgame, game uh, you're going to be at higher life totals than you think, because the battle counters that your opponents give you factor in, and as a result, I think the format will be a little bit slower than we're used to with All will be one, which, according to the data, was one of the fastest formats we've had in a long time.
0: And that makes a lot of sense to me, right? Because even if I'm playing standard and I drop a Liliana, I think, oh i'm playing against mono red great if they decide to attack it i've saved more time or an extra turn to live so you're saying like with battles if they're not answered it could be a problem so right you dropping a battle can lengthen the time you have to live depending on the situation yes awesome love that and love slower grindier formats um Obviously, Feroxia All Will Be One was much more enjoyable than Nukepenna, but oh, Nukepenna was also eating a pile of dirt was more
1: enjoyable than Nukepenna. be <laughs> right. fair. But it was it was fast.
0: The format was very fast in, in similar realm to uh, All Will Be One, and so I I'm if if slower is the new pace, at least slower than All Will Be One. Fine by me. Um, in. Transforming DFCs. Uh, You know, let's go there.
1: Okay, so this is actually...
0: These versions of transforming
1: DFCs we've already seen. Uh, Just not with Phyrexian mana as part of the transform cost. Sure. In Eldritch Moon, the werewolves in Eldritch Moon transformed for a mana cost, not based on the day-night mechanic of the set, which was actually not day-night. It was the original werewolf. Sure. Those werewolves, for example, there was a... One in a green, one, two with defender that tapped for a green, but you could pay seven to turn it into a four-six Eldrazi Werewolf that tapped for two colors. Two yeah.
0: We saw that in um Shadows of Renastar Remastered. Only yes. reason why I know that. Yes.
1: And those cards played out pretty well. And I think these cards will play out similarly well. They do appear to be two color pairs. Or yeah, they appear to be in a color pair. Don't fool yourself into thinking that's true because the off-color activation cost is always Phyrexian mana. So you can play them without having any mana sources of that color in your deck, and you can just pay the two life instead. And it doesn't matter. Just treat these as monocolored cards, for all intents and purposes. That's
0: sweet. Do you have a uh, card here as an example to talk about? So Skyclave Aerialist is one in a blue
1: for a 2-1 Flying Merfolk Scout. And for four and a Phyrexian green, you can transform it. You activate this only as a sorcery. I think they all have that rider, but don't quote me on that one. And it becomes a Skyclave Invader, a Phyrexian Morpho Scout with flying. And when it transforms into Skyclave Invader, look at the top card of your library. If it's a land card, you may put it onto the battlefield. If you don't put the card onto the battlefield, put it into your hand and it's a 2-4. Now, note the backside of all of these cards are two colors. The front side is only one color. That matters because Invasion of Ravnica, you know, the colorless mythic, uh, exiles a permanent that isn't exactly two colors. So you can't hit the backside of those with that.
0: But Invasion of Ravnica, right? How often do you think that we're going to see like that specific interaction
1: matter? I think it'll come up more than you think. Invasion of Ravnica is a stone bomb and it being colorless means you literally play it in every
0: Right. That's a good point. That's a good point. Um, So if you open it, you play it. That's the rule. (laughs) There is no other way. It automatically on Arena drafts it for you.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I've played Arena once. (laughs) That's how Arena works. Sure.
0: All right, next uh, into uh, Backup.
1: So Backup is a very interesting mechanic because there's nothing... I can't really point to a different mechanic that's like it in Magic's history... When a creature with backup enters the battlefield, it gives a counter to something, either itself or another creature. If it gives it to another creature, it gets all the abilities written below it, and it literally has to be written on the card. So if in response to the trigger, you give the creature flying, but it doesn't have it written on the card below the backup ability, it does not give that creature flying.
0: As much as, I don't know if our viewers will be confused, but I sure am. Can you give another example of, like, a backup card and how it will maybe be used?
1: All right, so Voldarin Thrill Thrillseeker, it's two and a red. This is my favorite backup card in the set. That's why I picked this. Uh, it's a Vampire Warrior. It's a 1-1. It has backup two. So when it enters the battlefield to put two 1-1 counters on target creature, if that's another creature, it gains the following ability until end of turn. And by following ability, it literally means everything else that's written below it. Some creatures will be templated where there is abilities above backup. Those creatures are generally ones with flash, because giving a creature already on the battlefield flash doesn't matter. So for Voldar and Thrillseeker, the ability the creature gains is pay one, sacrifice this creature, it deals damage equal to its power to any target.
0: Now, right, I know that we are both big fans of Lords of Lim- For me, when I hear this mechanic, I think that there are some instances where backup will be very good, and some instances where backup may, like, not that you're building a deck around backup synergies, it's just a bonus to good decks that you already have. That's kind of the vibe I'm getting about backup off the cuff, not playing the cards, not seeing them all together. What do you think? I think that's probably mostly
1: correct, yeah. I think there are some strategies that'll probably be more all-in on backup than others. Sure. But for the most part, it should just be incidental. Like, play the good backup cards, don't play the bad ones. Don't play the bad ones if you're an all-in backup deck, just to enable the better cards. Right. Yeah, just basically that sort of thing, like common sense sort of stuff. Don't play the one that, the two-mana O2 in green, that backups for one to let your creature deal... Combat damage equal to its toughness for a turn. That card looks atrocious. Oh come
0: on! It makes me feel like the um, butts matter deck. And no. In... <laughs> no. <laughs> Stopping right there. Um, okay. And uh, also, ma- it also thinking to cards past it makes me feel like backup agent, but better from Nuka Where it it came in and just put a counter on anything. You could make it a two two for two. Or you could play your two men at one one that gives a counter to uh, something else. All right, next uh, next mechanic, incubate.
1: So incubate is interesting because they've literally had to change the rules for this mechanic to work. Tokens before the set could not transform. That's not a thing they were able to do. Right now they can. Uh, so incubate is a token that starts off as just like a derpy little artifact with some 1-1 counters on it that you pay like three mana to transform it into a Phyrexian zero zero with the 1-1 counters on it because it doesn't exile itself.
0: Sure. Into... All right, Alex, our next uh, mechanic, Incubate.
1: All right, so Incubate is a fun mechanic because Wizards had to literally rewrite the rules to make this mechanic work. Before tokens couldn't transform, now they can. That has a whole bunch of implications. We're not gonna cover that here. Uh, what we are gonna cover is this specific token. Uh, so whenever something tells you to incubate, it'll always be followed by a number. In this case, uh, on Tilar of Flesh, it's incubate two. So you create an incubator token with two 1-1 counters on it and pay two mana, transform this artifact. It transforms into a 0-0 artifact creature. Note that doesn't say sorcery speed, which is kind of crazy
0: for this day and age with design. Sure, so you have the ability right, your opponent goes to swing, you have open Mm -hmm. mana, and this artifact transform at instant speed block. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is going to be definitely tricky, especially in the early days of the format, for newer players and older players to just see... Oh, look, now this artifact is blocking me.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be a lot of uh, feel-bads with the onboard tricks sort of thing. Uh, But people should get used to that pretty quickly. Honestly, Incubate on its own is a pretty simple mechanic. Like, that's literally all there is to it. It's just this token, and it transforms. Hopefully hopefully each pre-release kit comes with an Incubate token, because if not, oh boy.
0: (laughs) Yeah, what a nightmare, though.
1: Like that one time, they forgot to put energy tokens in Kaladesh, in the first print run of Kaladesh, and they required at the major tournament that you have energy tokens and not just have dice. So they were selling for like four or five dollars at vendors because they just didn't print them for some reason. Right. Well,
0: the vendors did well that day. Everyone else felt sad. Yeah, it was really stupid, though. (laughs) Um, Awesome. Next mechanic I am most excited to get to. It feels like it's going to be uh, very broken in regards to a limited format, especially for decks that are going to get creatures on board and early. But I'm also excited for the implications that this mechanic has for constructed play as well.
1: I am of the opinion that Convoke in this set sucks.
0: Really? Tell me more.
1: Uh, So Convoke is... Uh, historically has been a green-white mechanic. It was the Selesnia mechanic in the first set that selesnia appeared in, Ravnica City of Guilds, uh, and came back in M15 as the green-white mechanic in that set, and then came back again in the the third Ravnica block.
0: I mean, I'm particularly familiar because I play, uh, and I did this past week, in modern uh, quarter-calling, uh, which is a very common uh, modern card for, for Convoke. But uh, yes, it is definitely sweet to uh, play a one mana dork and then use that one mana dork to tap for Convoke. And so do you think that Convoke, unlike some of these others, are going to be, you know, are, are we thinking them of them in the realm of the cards that do have Convoke that are good we play and the ones that are bad we don't? Or Uh, does Convoke need to be not necessarily a theme, but something that you really need to build your deck around?
1: I don't think you need to build your
0: deck around it at all. I think Blue-Red is set up in a way
1: that it'll just take advantage of Convoke naturally. Uh, That being said, I think a lot of the Convoke cards are poopy, like I
0: stated previously, so only play the good ones. Sure. And also, this is from a game design perspective, which doesn't particularly... I don't particularly understand it, but right... Monastery Mentor is a card that we're seeing reprinted, that when you play Instants and Sorcery Spells, you get creatures, but it's in white, which doesn't have Convoke this time around. And so I think that it's interesting that that choice wasn't made for white this time, when we have a card that like probably would synergize well with Con- Monastery Mentor is a plan for Constructed. I I think it's a strong limited card, but
1: I'm fairly certain the reason they reprinted it is because it hasn't received a reprint as far as I can remember, maybe in a Master set once, and it's uh, played in several older formats. I know it's restricted in Vintage. For those who don't know, that means you can only play one copy of it in Vintage. It sees play in Legacy and is probably good enough to see play in Pioneer.
0: Yeah, maybe. I mean, the deck's... That I think that it would be played in is, right, we have blue, red, like, young Pyromancer variants that are not necessarily A tier. They're probably, like, B, C fringe decks. There was one good deck that I think at the Energy 10k played, you know, blue-white Pyromancer. Maybe they splashed Jeskai for that, but I think the card is very powerful, but I'm not sure that it particularly mechanic that we are familiar with uh, haven't seen I personally haven't seen in
1: so companion is wizard's biggest mistake in the past decade which is saying something because throne of Eldraine is still less than 10 years old companion originally was you could just cast it from the companion zone which is and you just pay the cost and it go into play they quickly changed that because it was broken to you had to pay 3 mana to put the companion in your hand, and then from there you could cast it.
0: Still broken, but not nearly not as, as much. Green. So yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, it's not uh, turns turn one black lotus. Play Lurus, Play black lotus again. Uh, Ruin vintage for a while.
0: Uh, where, do you, where do you think this is going to fit in? Uh, you know, fit in our limited realm.
1: So companion is returning on cards that have already had. Multiverse legend slot, which there's one in each pack, so that's why I decided to include it here because we have several that are like good. We have Obash the Prey Piercer, Luris is returning, Kar- Karuga is returning, Giganta is returning, Yorian is returning, and the blue black one, the the Gyruda. There we go. I got there. Uh, is returning, and I don't believe any others are returning. So I, I put this in was, I here. I thought there was some red white fox. Zerta. Did I not say Zerda? You, I miss Zerta.
0: There we go.
1: Uh so I put this in here because it's not technically a set mechanic because it's in the special slot, but Shit. it literally shows up in each booster. One of these multiverse legends. So there will be the chance to companion. Uh and I think the most interesting one is Lutri, the spell chaser, the blue red one. Yeah. Because it's a it requires your deck to be singleton
0: and limited that's often the case anyway so it's almost free like sometimes but i was gonna say because there are plenty of decks where you know there are very staple commons and uncommons Mm -hmm. that you want to grab for your deck i mean a, a perfect example from phyrexia all will be one was axiom engraver when you saw an axiom engraver come around right this is the right card the one and red for put two coils counters on, tap, discard a card, draw a card. Yeah, you wanted to put multiple copies in your deck if you could. Do you feel like it will be, like Lutri will make an appearance with you know some of those cards surely running around in the format?
1: Yeah, I think it will, especially in sealed, when you're less likely to be able to craft what you pull, uh, because you literally can't. So not just less likely you literally cannot, uh, so I think, like, if you have to cut, like, one good card to get this extra free card, like, that's worth it. That's ultimately what has happened with companions. Uh, I think a couple ones to watch out for that are traps are Luris. Luris is good in Constructed, not good in Limited as a companion. And Karuga is just bad as a companion. You Put it in your 40, by all means. But do not put it in the companion zone. Because then you're not doing anything with turns 1 and 2. And that's pretty bad.
0: Right. And with limited in the past, I mean, it's been for a while now that if you aren't interacting or you don't have interaction for turns one or two, you usually are too far behind to catch up. And that's been the case, I'd say, for a while. Like, limited is a faster format than it used to be. So you can't, in most formats, just derp around until turn three or four like you used to
1: Mm -hmm. that's because the most of the cards wizards prints now at common and uncommon don't suck
0: (laughs) right yeah it's not your uh look at my four mana all right well alex did hint to this previously uh with talking about companions which leads really well into our next part which is how packs will work so uh draft boosters look a little different uh with uh, battle and some of these cards that we have returning. So, there is going to be one rare or mythic rare in each pack. There will also be a slot dedicated to the multiverse legends slot. Each booster, each draft booster contains a multiverse legends card. There are 65 of them uh, that are all different 20 in the uncommon slot, 30 in the rare slot, and 15 in the mythic rare slot. Then there will be one slot for a battle card, one non-battle double-faced card, three to five uncommons, including double-faced cards, battle cards, and multiverse legends cards, and then eight to nine commons. That is generally how the packs will look. only additional exception is that in a third of the boosters, you'll find a foil of any rarity replacing a common. Uh, Dual lands will replace a basic land in about... 50% 50% of the packs, and that wraps up how, you know, packs are going to look like for uh, drafting. Do How do you think that this may, you know, with all of these different slots, affect pick order? So we're
1: looking at these Multiverse Legends cards as not something that was like, oh my gosh, I opened a soaring Ring in Kaladesh. Like, that's never going to happen again to anyone. Uh, they're in every pack. Somebody's going to have a Ragavan at pre-release. If you open a Ragavan, take it. I, I don't care what colors you're in for a draft. You take that Ragavan and you are happy with your like eighty or so
0: dollars. And not even just eighty dollars. the The card is insane. If you're playing, I mean, I feel like Ragavan is even a reason to pull you into red.
1: Yes, it is. I would. I would argue it is. I mean, I have it pretty high up. I don't think it's a stone cold bomb because it's a two mana. It's a one mana two one, but it's really good. Uh, With the multiverse legends, though, like, you can, especially with the uncommon ones, you can consider them to be, like, signpost cards for archetypes. There are certain uh, two-color multiverse legends that actually are, like, a second version of a signpost card. Uh, the black-red one comes to mind because it deals with sacrifice. And black-red's archetype in this set is new and
0: exciting, sacrifice. (laughs) I was going to say, Justin, just here? Red-black sacrifice? Yeah, never been done before. Never been done before.
1: Uh, With the battles, uh, seeing one in each pack means that there are going to be... You're going to be seeing these. Everybody's going to be playing them. I think you should be playing between, like, two and four, depending on the makeup of your deck. And you only want to play the good ones, not the bad ones. There's a... Red-green's theme is battles. I don't think you want to flood your deck even there with battles. Maybe you play five at most.
0: Right, because there's the tension of you needing to... Right, if you play a battle, you not only want the ability on the front, but you want the ability on the back. And to have the ability on the back have to attack it which means that you have to have a decent enough creature count to attack the battles and have enough removal to be like i'm going to play this battle and i've got these creatures and i need them to get in to attack it and so that makes a lot of sense to me that you can't just flood your deck with battles because you need to <laughs> attack them down yes even the ones that
1: uh come with creatures which some of them do uh, invasion of kaladesh invasion of Belanon. Those are the two that come to mind that come with creatures, but I'm sure there's more. Those are good. Those are gonna be better than the battles that don't to some extent, unless the effect is really good on the front side. Like, having both a battle and a body to attack it is really valuable. And because of... Uh, this is getting off-topic a little bit, with the uh, pack collation, right. but with battles being a thing that you want to attack down, vigilance gets a lot more important. Sure. Flying gets a lot more important All as right. well. Like even more important than it normally is. Flying and vigilance are going to be the two best keywords in the set, not lifelink or anything like that, which is weird because lifelink is usually like the best keyword. Right. Because
0: you have more turns, more life. But a, the way that you explain that makes a lot of sense to me because of battles running around. So hypothetical here. If you have a decent battle in a pack, and again, we're living in a hypothetical realm of you don't know how good everything is, but you get a mid-level rare, something that is better than a common or uncommon, you get a good-ish battle and a companion in the pack. Off the top of your head, what do you think that you might take?
1: I think it <laughs> to take the cheap answer, I think it super depends on what card... Each one is. Uh, if Because companions range from Yorian, which I don't think I ever want a companion in this format. Agree. To Karuga, which I literally will never companion in this format, even if I'm trying to meme. Sure. Uh, to Luris, which I think is also something I will never companion. To Lutri, which is something I actively want to try. Yeah. Uh, and Zerda, I just don't even think it's possible to do it. Because... All of the battles don't have activated abilities. So if you companion Zerto, you cannot play any battles. Now, keep in mind, you can still put the companions in your 40 cards. Like, that's fine.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very dependent, very off-the-cuff question. Um, All right. Moving into, you know, pre-release. Just some general tips for sealed, as well as some of our metrics around removal, fixing, pacing of the format at a glance. You know, what are your basic tips for how to construct a sealed deck?
1: All right, so start with removal, because you asked a lot of questions there and it's easier for me to break it down one by one. Sure. Uh so removal looks pretty good, honestly. Black has a ton of it, um, red has Arguably the best uncommon in the set in Stoke the Flames, which is going to be great removal, not just for creatures and Planeswalkers, but also for battles because it deals four and it could be free. So you can really just get them real quick. And because the cast side, the reverse side is cast, ignoring timing restrictions, you can get a surprise blocker as well. Especially with Stoke the Flames, if you're tapped out, you have four untapped creatures, you can still get like a surprise blocker. It's a whole thing.
0: You said Convoke cards were bad.
1: Stoke the Flames is an insane card, sir.
0: <laughs> Most of the just, Convoke cards are poopy. I'm this just,
1: particular reprint, might I add, it's a reprint.
0: I'm just quoting you,
1: okay? <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> um Stoke the Flames is good, everything else is bad. <laughs> no, rem- that's not true. Removal. 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 Uh so Black has an instant speed version of Grim Bounty, which dumb. is dumb. Grim Bounty. Grim Bounty, 4 mana, destroy a creature, make a treasure. Ooh. But this time it's at instant speed. It also destroys Planeswalkers. Uh,
0: Which is important nowadays.
1: hmm And then we've got... The interesting question here is because all the battles... So the interesting thing is that board wipes are normally not good and limited. Uh, at least they haven't been historically. I think here they're going to actually be playable because a lot of the board wipes, especially the damage-based ones, do it to players or not players, planeswalkers, creatures, battles. Uh, Into the Fire deals two damage to each creature, planeswalker, in battle. Uh, Sunfall is a five-mana exile all creatures. Incubate X, where X is the number of creatures exiled that way. That card looks very good.
0: Right, so you could, in theory, have a battle on your opponent, wipe Mm -hmm. their board, incubate a ton Mm -hmm. and then be ready to fire in at the battle that you place on your opponent
1: yes also if you have more than if you have seven or more mana you can have an incubate token already wipe the board with that and then kill the battle by transforming the incubate token sure it's just got to be a different one because summoning sickness will still apply to that creature That was board wipes, which is usually not an important part of removal, but I think worth mentioning here. For fixing, we have Skittering Surveyors back from Dominaria, which was one of the best commons in that set. And I think is going to be secretly one of the best commons in this set, at least how I'm hoping the set plays out. Because there's a lot of cards, especially in the Multiverse Legends slot, that are three or more colors. Uh, a lot of the mythics in this set are three or more colors. The team-up cards, like Borborygmos and Fibblethip, uh, and the Getrog monster, those are all three-color cards. Right. And those are all insane. You're oh. going to want to play those.
0: Oh, yeah. Fally and the Getrog monster is something that I'm even excited for in the Constructed scene. And I'm sure, I mean, it just feels like Glissa reprinted again.
1: <laughs> what do you mean by that?
0: Glissa Sunslayer, First Strike Death Touch. Thalia and oh, the Gitrog yeah, 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 is yeah, also yeah, yeah. for strike, yeah, yeah, yeah. that touch. Okay, yeah. And there's just, right, they just have different abilities at the bottom. Whereas Thalia and the Gitrog, you have the ability to sacrifice creatures or lands and play additional lands to draw cards. Where when Glissa Sunslayer does combat damage to a player, you can lose a life and draw a card or destroy. Who cares? Yeah, doesn't
1: matter. <laughs> That's in the last set. Nobody cares about that anymore. Yeah,
0: we're past one. It's all about moms. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Additionally, in fixing, because about 50% of the packs will have those duels, those are going to be good fixing. But also, they brought back another mechanic that we didn't mention in the mechanics section because it's literally on seven cards in the set. Cycling. Uh, there are two cards in green that have just generic cycling. Uh, Pay the cost, discard this card, draw a card. And there are five cards, one in each color, that have land cycling. Uh, They cycle to get the land of their respective color. Now note, it's not basic land cycling. And I believe these are the first cards in Pioneer that can cycle to get... They're all commons as well, so you're going to get them. Right. And I think it will enable splashing, just like the one card from... Neon Dynasty enabled the splash of Imperial Oath in literally every deck because you could discard it to go get a planes.
0: Oh yes, the Samurai, the mm-hmm.
1: Vigilant Sunblade samurai. samurai. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, these mm-hmm. cards will enable interesting splashes in your two color decks if you open like a Thalia and the Get Rog Monster, and are in one of, and are in a color pair within those three colors.
0: Yeah, this seems important to me for playing uh, something three color.
1: Mm -hmm. Or five-color cards, if you're me, and are going to be Degenerate and try to win with five-color decks. Bring in Meme Town along. I'm not even sure it's a meme in this set, that's the thing. I think it might just be the real deal.
0: Is there a Terramorphic Expanse variant? Nope. Yeah, without the Terramorphic Expanse variant, or like Terrarium from Neon Dynasty, and with no duels whatsoever, I feel like it's... I'm happy to face you and magically lose anyway. Yeah, that'll happen. Um, So tell me about, right, we did talk about removal, fixing, um, you know, building. This is a little bit around, like, I crack open my sealed pool. What pulls me in a direction, right? We want to play fixing. If, uh, you know, we're going multicolor, we want to... Uh, play removal, but how? what's the pace of the format? Do we feel like we need to be two-drop heavy? Um, I know we said it's going to be a little bit slower, but tell me a little bit more on that.
1: I think that most of the one-drops in the format actually look pretty bad, which is rare these days. Uh, Usually they're pretty good about making the one-drops playable, and I think this is more back when they made all the one-drops unplayable. Most of the ones I've looked at, with the exception of Ragavan, seem So, I think the format is slower than one, as I think I mentioned earlier. Uh, And it's probably slower than, at least I'm hoping it's slower than most of the formats we've had recently. More along a, like, Strixhaven type of format speed where we could easily play these eight and nine mana cards. No problem. Uh, I think 10 mana is a little bit unreasonable.
0: Sorry, Jinka (laughs) Taxis. Um, great. So then, right, you're at pre-release, you're opening up your packs. What do you feel like is going to be the most three important things for how you decide on what to construct your deck? I'm
1: going to look for my rares and mythics first. Yep. See what see what okay. the strongest bombs are, see what pulls me into color.
0: And we feel like this will be bomby, like similar to, I mean, not like Crimson Vow, but that the bombs are, you know, worth looking at first.
1: Yes. I mean, I'd say that in any format. They're worth looking at. Crimson Vow was just an outlier in the sense that Drunfist Demon is an atrociously designed card and was a mistake uh, for Limited. The fact that it was a rare was disgusting. Uh, And Lisa from the previous set was also disgusting at rare and should have never been printed at rare in the first place. But other than those two, Wizards has done a pretty good job of not making egregious rares, and I'm pretty certain most of these will not be egregious. The Mythics should be more powerful, and they are. The Multiverse Legends slot should probably be a little bit more stacked, than it is.
0: Great, so you're looking at rares first next two things. Because there's bombs. There's going to be bombs. There's a lot
1: of them. There's a whole slot that's literally just bombs. You want to be able to remove those things. So you're going to be looking at your removal and see how it lines up with your bombs. It's okay to be playing a removal light deck if you have the ability to go over the top of your opponent. Right.
0: Like uh, you're top making better cards than they are.
1: Yeah. And then you're going to be looking at fixing if you're just to see if you can play your three color bombs, your four color bombs, or if you're me, Niv-Mizzet, Reborn, uh, sure. and just trying to jam every two color card you have in because I like bad things. Or if you have Invasion of Alara, which I think is actually a quite a playable card in this format, even though it has seven defense. That's how the backs, the backside reads castless.
0: You win the game. And to be, um, you know, very forthright with the people that listen to our podcast, Alex says that he likes to do bad things, but we have a week by set at our local game store, a league for limited. And Alex is far and away, despite the fact that we are both like limited junkies. We're listening to podcasts, trying to be better Far and away ahead of the rest of us and is about to win his second, third, uh, third limited, um, title, uh, league title in a row. So he says second in a row, third, total, third, total. He (laughs) says he likes to do bad things, but in reality his bad things, um, really work. So don't be fooled. Um, but Okay.
1: Just build your mana bases responsibly if you're doing dumb things.
0: Yes. Um, And now let's get to the meat and the potatoes. The majority of what our limited decks are going to look like built through commons and uncommons. We have outlined in this next part of our podcast the top commons and uncommons in our opinion in uh, the five color pairs. So Alex, uh, white commons, uh, let's uh, kick us off. I'll cover our... Okay, Okay, so
1: in the first slot, we have Realm Breaker's Grasp, which is the pacifism variant for the set. It looks very strong. This seems like a slower, grindier format, so pacifism variants get better. The Rakdos Sacrifice deck does exist. Just be aware of that.
0: All right, now that we've talked about just general tips on how to build your seal deck, we're going to jump into the meat of the potatoes and the meat and potatoes of our All right, Alex, we've covered removal, fixing, pacing, how some general tips on building your deck on what we look at first um, lands. How are you looking to construct, uh, you know, lands in your decks? I'm looking for 17, I think, here maybe
1: 18 if I'm playing five color. A Rixmithies, the Slumbering Isle, is a legendary creature in the rare slot for the Multiverse Legends that comes in as a land. I would never count that as a land though, because you have to
0: pay mana for it. Sure, great. Well, thank you for that. Um, now let's get into the meat and potatoes of our uh you know, limited decks, what we are going to be looking at the bulk of our decks consisting of, our commons, our uncommons, uh, and we've broken them down, what we feel are three to look out for in each color, uh, for each common and uncommon. Uh, Let's start with our white commons. Uh, Alex, kick us off.
1: So we have Realm Breaker's Grasp as like the first white common to watch out for. It is one in a white for the Pacifism variant, Enchant or Enchant Artifact or Creature. Enchants permanent can't attack a block, and its activate abilities can't be activated. So you can put this on Incubate. Uh, I just think that this is going to be great. It's been fine to good in most sets that it's appeared in. And the fact that we can hit artifacts here is better. Next one up is Knight of the New Coalition. We've seen this card before in a core set uh, by a different name. 4-mana 2-2 with Vigilance. And when it enters, it makes a 2 So you get two bodies with Vigilance, which is super important for this format. Granted, they're both 2 and it's four mana. But like four mana for four power with Vigilance split across two bodies is good. And the last common, oh, Alabaster Host Sanctifier. This is a functional reprint of 60 million different cards in Magic's history. It's a 2-2 with lifelink. There's nothing funny about it. I just think that this is going to be a good card. Uh, it's always been a good card. It's always been an overperformer in the sets it's appeared in before and I'm just going to start it highly
0: yeah I think it's also high as well I'm probably not seeing it as high as you are but that's only because of your right discussion on vigilance and flying the evasion being better to hit battles and um you know protect battles but no doubt. I still think it's something too.
1: Worth noting, it is also a Phyrexian, which matters for Black White because Black White's thing is Phyrexians.
0: Moving on to our uh, uncommons. First, we have a uh, seal from existence. Uh, 1 and double white. When Seal from Existence enters the battlefield, exile target non-land permanent and opponent controls until Seal from Existence leaves the battlefield. Uh, this is always a great card. All of the formats that we see, this kind of like O-ring type variant, but for any non-land permanent. But what also makes it very good is the fact that it has Ward 3 on it in addition. Uh, that means it also can not only take something, but have uh the ability to protect itself paying ward three will be a lot it might even take a turn for you to get something back if it's worth noting because the mana cost is
1: one white white as opposed to two and a white like the previous versions we have seen this is not a splashable
0: next we're going to move on to uh blue so blue looks mopey
1: at best in this
0: set uh
1: so it's kind of hard to pick a top three, but I think I managed to get pretty close to how I feel about it. So in uh, slot one, we have a Cyber Cryptomancer. It's a backup card. This is one of the cards with Flash that has backup written below it. So it's one in a blue for a O-1 Moonfolk Ninja with Flash and then backup one. So as we discussed earlier with the backup, When you give the counter to something else, it'll only get the abilities below it. It will not get flash. Uh, And the ability below it is hexproof. This is the blue protection spell of the set on a creature. Uh, This just looks very solid. It'll blank your opponent's removal every time.
0: Right. And if blue is a supporting color, you know, even... This is probably, like, if if blue is your supporting color, you're playing this.
1: I think you want one in every blue deck, maybe two, but not much more than that, because there's definitely diminishing returns, because this is not an attacking creature. This, do not even, I mean, you can count it as a creature, but I would be tempted to count it as only, like, half a creature for the purposes of deck building, because I'm using it to protect my creature, and then it's a chump blocker. The next uh, card is Preening Champion, which is a hilarious name for a bird knight. Uh, it's two and a blue for a 2-2 flyer that when it enters the battlefield, you create a 1-1 blue and red elemental creature token. So it's two bodies for Convoke for the good Convoke cards. And it because the token is both blue and red, it can tap for the colored mana portion of the Convoke spells in the set, with the exception of the black Convoke spell. And then the third blue card is Protocol Knight, which is three and a blue for a 3-4 human knight when it enters the battlefield tap target creature an opponent controls put a stun counter on that creature if you control another knight so blue white steam is knights in this set and it looks to be probably the premier aggro deck in the format and this is a good way to continue pushing damage after they stabilize it's a h- huge body at four mana and a stun counter if you haven't played with those plays really well
0: um moving into our un are uh, uncommons the first slot we have is wicked slumber this is three and a blue uh with convoke tap up the two target creatures put a stun counter on either of them then put a stun counter on
1: either of them so worth noting you can put the two stun counters on the same
0: creature there that's why it's worded that way sure very confusing but uh will definitely be uh effective yes uh, next, we have uh, Xerrex, Strobe Knight, uh, going along with the, the knight theme. Two and a blue, uh, Flying Vigilance, create a 2-2 white and blue knight creature, to or er, tap, create a 2-2 two, two white and blue knight creature token with Vigilance. Activate only if you cast two or more spells this turn with a 2-2 body.
1: That card's got both Flying and Vigilance, so that's why we have it on this list because it's even though it's a two two for three which isn't like the best stat line it's both in the air and it's vigilant and if you manage to enable it uh it's great uh worth noting that ability also doesn't say at sorcery speed you can do it on your opponent's turn if you're some sort of insane person who's casting two spells on your opponent's turn or a control player casting negates
0: yeah, I feel like it's not going to be right if you're in an aggro shell. This may be something that you could get a turn after you play it, but you're right shotgunning creatures out of your hand. And so I don't think that it's something that you may activate often if this isn't an aggro shell. If this isn't a spell slinging shell, then sure, you may be making knight tokens more than we think. Um, but I'm not sure how much activation you might see if this is happening the echo variant. Yeah, I agree. And then last for the uncommons, we have... Uh, lastly, we're going to have Alex talk about our third one. Because this was one of my pet cards in
1: its original format. Uh, uh, I cheaped out when I made this list, full disclosure, and picked a couple of Multiverse Legends uncommons for top uncommons in the color, but I have definitive reasons for doing that for all of them. Inga Rune is no exception. Inga Rune is three and a blue for a 3-3 human wizard, originally printed in Call Time at Uncommon, now a multiverse legend at Uncommon. When she enters the battlefield, scry three. That's basically draw a card at some point in the game. Uh, And then when she dies, draw three cards with three or more creatures died this turn. People were pretty down on Inga in Call Time, and I think that was incorrect. I believe Inga was one of the stronger blue uncommons that you could be doing in that format, and I think she'll do it again. You can easily orchestrate a board state in which your opponent has to trade for Inga, and then also just one other creature dies, incidentally. It's quite literally, like, Ancestral Recall is a very powerful card. This does that when it dies. You have to set it up, so it's not as easy as just playing a blue and doing it, but, like, you get the scry three to set it up as well with your... Future draws, and I just—I literally will not stop gushing about Anger Rune Eyes. I will not shut up about this card. This card is—I don't care if it's actually terrible in this format. I will play it.
0: Well, I better get owned by it at some point. Oh, you will. Moving on to uh, black commons, uh, we've got uh, two and a black for Deadly Derision. Destroy target creature or planeswalker. Create a treasure token. Two and a black, black two and a black black, pardon me, for destroy target creature or planeswalker create a treasure token. Uh, We mentioned that removal we think is going to be solid. So, uh, you know, obviously why it's at the top of our list here. Uh, After that, we have vanquish the weak, uh, two and a black, two and one black for destroy target creature with power three or less. And then- uh, A lot of the creatures in the set are small. Like, what can we say? Well, and I feel like this could almost be a playable card outside of... you sure? Yes.
1: We have Eliminate. That's a better card. That does basically the same thing. You're not wrong. And it can hit some cards that
0: this card can't for one less mana. This is true. Uh, And our final black common, Nizumi Informant. One in a black. When Nizumi Informant enters the battlefield, each opponent discards a card. Welcome back, Virus Beetle. But we don't have the. Again, but we do love Nazumi Informant in every format we see. Uh, this is actually the first time this card has been printed. <laughs> it is not a reprint. No, I don't mean like. I know what you mean. It's similar to right the court official, corrupt court official from New Penna, which ended up being a pretty mopey card. Yeah, uh, you still could play them in some decks, but and the Virus Beetle just which was the best black common in that set, right? The point is that the cards do the same things. Yes. Just a different name. Yes.
1: Uh, The reason this is so high up is because Black Red Sacrifice exists. Sure. And this is a perfect piece of fodder to it. Then the Black Uncommons, we have Collective Nightmare, which is the Black Convoke spell I've been hinting at for a while. It's a two and a black with Convoke for an instant. Target creature gets minus three, minus three until end of turn. That's just solid. It's potentially a free removal spell. I don't think you need to build your deck around it in any stretch of the imagination. It's just going to be good if you can cast it for 3 mana, and it's going to be good if you can cast it for no mana. Actually, it's going to be pretty busted if you can cast it for no mana. But, like I said, you don't have to build around it. We have Blight Reaper Thalid. That card is a transform card. Uh, It's 1 and a black for a 2-2, with no abilities other than 3 and a Phyrexine green. ...to transform it. On its backside, it's a Phyrexian Fungus. Uh, and when it transforms into this card or dies, create a 1-1 Green Phyrexian Saproling Creature Token. It's a 3-3. So you're getting two bodies for a Sacrifice deck. You're also getting just, like, two bodies to attack a battle. And, like, you can go turn 2 this, turn 3 flip it, and you've still gotten another creature on the board. That's going to be the awkward tension with some of these Transform cards that you can play them and then transform them the next turn, is that you're not affecting the board technically. You're just making your creature better. This one negates that by giving you the 1-1 sapper line. Love it. Because you double your power. Right. And then the last card is Invasion of Old Grotha. If you guys missed Grandmother uh, Sangir, worry not. She's back. <laughs> she's still in black as well. Uh, so Invasion of Old Grotha is a battle that enters with five defense counters. And when it enters, deals three damage to any other target and you gain three life. It's important to say any other target because otherwise you could just deal three damage to Battle of Old Growth. But that doesn't stop you from dealing damage to any other battle. Right. Which is what I think this will be the best case use for this. Uh, and then when it transforms into Grandmother Ravi Sengir, she's a human wizard with flying. Uh, and whenever a creature an opponent controls dies, you put a 1-1 counter on her. And you gain one life. She's a flyer, so she's evasive to attack down other battles. She's got a sweet Sengir vampire-esque ability, which is super on point and on flavor. And her carriage is being flown by bats, <laughs> which is insane. Bats, Literally
0: insane. The bats call to her. All right, moving in into uh, the red commons. Uh, one that I'm very jazzed about is Volcanic Spite. This is one in a red. Volcanic Spite deals three damage to target creature, planeswalker, or battle. You may put a card from your hand on the bottom of your library. If you do, draw a card. This is at instant speed. It's three damage to creature, planeswalker, or battle. And if there's a card in your hand you don't want, you can dis, you can not, not discard it. Put it on the bottom and get another card. This is going to be such a high pick.
1: It's also going to be constructed playable. Because the version of this from Ikoria has is, is already seen some French playing Pioneer. Sure. And this is strictly better than strictly it. Strictly better. Because it can hit battles as well.
0: Next, we have Thrashing Frontliner, one and a red, Trample, two, two. When Thrashing Frontliner attacks a battle, it gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. As we are anticipating, with battles being something of uh, importance. Uh, The plus one, plus one, and trample, both really really matter. Last we have uh, War Trained Slasher. This is a three and a red, a four three with menace. When War Trained Slasher attacks a battle, double its power until end of turn. I don't know many battles that are going to survive eight damage, or you sack uh, two creatures (laughs) Um, red so far, uh, especially in the commons lot.
1: Uh, so for uncommons, we have the mythical stoke, the flames, four mana for red instant two, red red deal four damage to any target with convoke. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Crazy good. Saw playing constructed and standard when it was in standard. Uh, then we have invasion of regatha. This is a three mana battle, but you're not going to want to play it on three ever. It when it because when it enters it deals four damage to another target battle or opponent and deals one damage to up to one target creature. That alone should be able to take down most battles. And then it flips into Disciples of the Inferno, which is a it's 4-4 a with prowess. And if a non-creature s- source you control would deal damage to a creature, battle, or opponent, it deals that much damage plus two instead. Honestly, I was in from the front side alone.
0: Yeah. I mean, like
1: yeah. everything else is gravy. <laughs> right. And then the last one... Is kenra's Spell Spear. This is a card I'm excited about. Uh it's a one and a red for a 2-2 trample with prowess. And for three and a phyrexian blue, you transform it. This one says activate only as a sorcery, as they all do. And then on the back side, it's a 3-3 with trample ward two, prowess, prowess. This is the first instance of a creature with two separate abilities of prowess, That's- which do trigger separately, as the card says.
0: All right, moving into green, our commons, our first one being Cosmic hum- Hunger. One into green, target creature you control deals damage equal to its power to another creature, planeswalker, or battle. We see this variant a lot in most formats, except we don't, we usually see it between creature and creature. We're adding between creature and planeswalker, and of course, for our battle themes, adding between creature and battle. Um, I just think that this is so versatile for uh, Mm -hmm. what you need, especially at combat. Next one we have is the Portent Trekker. One in a green. uh, Tap uh, this 1-1 to untap a target land, or you can choose target battle. uh, Tap, choose a target, choose target battle. If an opponent protects it, remove a defense counter from it. Otherwise put a defense counter on it. Activate only as a sorcery. Moving on uh, to our last green common, we have the chomping Kavu. Three in a green backup one. This three three uh, says this creature can't be blocked by creatures with power two. This three three uh, has the ability or has text that says this creature can't be blocked by creatures with power two or less. Great because it can target itself or, um, you know, can target something else. Hard to block.
1: There's going to be a pretty common play pattern of play a creature on two, play uh, battle on three, play that on four, back up onto your creature that you played on two, attack it in because it's a free attack to the battle, get it down to like one defense or something. Uh, for green uncommons, we have another card that I'm going to gush about for a moment, but not nearly as hard as R- Ingo Runei's. Uh, Nothing as much as Ingarunized. No, never. (laughs) Uh, Because this card is widely considered to be a good card. It's Renata called to the hunt. Back from the grave of Theros beyond death. Uh, For two green green, get a legendary enchantment creature, Demigod. Renata's power is equal to your devotion to green. Each uh, green mana symbol in the mana cost of permanence you control counts towards your devotion to green. And each other creature you control enters the battlefield with an additional plus one plus one counter on it. It's a star three. Uh this card was insane in this format, and it will be insane again here. The additional plus one plus one counter on every single creature you play is powerful, to say the least. The second one we have is tandem takedown. This this card's sweet as well. Uh and not splashable. In the slightest. (laughs) One green green for an instant, up to two target creatures you control each get plus one, plus zero until end of turn. They each deal damage equal to their power to another target creature, planeswalker, or battle. Now, fun rules thing about this. If one of the first two targets becomes illegal, the spell will still resolve. If both of the first two targets become illegal, the spell will not resolve. If the third target becomes illegal...
0: Always good to have a judge in the podcast.
1: Scratch that, actually. Hold on. The third target, becoming illegal, actually doesn't fizzle the spell. What it does is it just gives your creatures plus one, plus
0: plus Oh, sure.
1: Sorry, it'll fizzle the fight, sp- the fight part of the spell. I was not specific enough there. Uh, and then the last one we have, for my stupid life, and also <clears throat> just a good card in general, Invasion of Zendikar. It's a four-mana, three-defense battle enters the battlefield you search for up to two basic land cards put them onto the battlefield tap then shuffle what? Uh, and then we have a awakened skyclave as the back, which is a vigilance haste four four and as long as it's on the battlefield, it's a land in addition to his other types and you tap it to add one man of any color. this card screams play five colors to me sure. and this is the card I will be using to play five colors
0: and I think that that's gonna be. Just a key for the format is that obviously we think that battles are going to be good, but battles that have strong both sides are just going to be um, very highly contended, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're just looking at a, a better version of explosive vegetation here, and explosive vegetation is not usually a limited card you want to play, but in this particular format, is something that interests me.
0: Uh, we're going to move into just talking a little bit about some of the rares and mythics that uh, should pull you into uh, these colors uh, we're not going to discuss like what the cards do just putting it out there that these cards specifically if you see them hey they should probably uh pull you in uh direction so for white elishnorn archangel elspeth and boonbringer uh, valkyrie
1: blue we have Zephyr Singer, chrome Host Seed Shark and Invasion of Segovia.
0: Black, I can't even pronounce this. Scytherix. The Blight Dragon, Shieldred, and then Invasion of Innistrad. Red
1: is Rampaging Raptor, Urobrask, and Urobrask the Hymn. Double Urobrask.
0: And then for green, we have Goreclaw, Terror of Kalsisma? Kalsisma. Thank you. Vorenklaxt, and the ancient Imperosaur? Imperosaur. So close with these names. Uh, Lastly,
1: I just want to remind players that uh, for the more spiky listeners that we may or may not have at this point, Mm. uh, pre-release is supposed to be fun. Don't be a douche. Uh, A lot of people's only experience with semi-competitive play will be at a pre-release and a lot of new players that'll be their first experience if you are mean to them or rude or just like kind of like standoffish that could turn them off to the game entirely it's uh our job as more entrenched players in the community to be kinder to these people to keep the game growing so that it doesn't just explode like some other card games have in the past couple years
0: and in addition to that right you not only get people that are excited about the set, are limited junkies, are wanting to see how these new cards will affect um, uh, the competitive environments and the constructed environments, but also your commander players that are wanting to get some of these cards out of packs to play in their decks. And so in addition to new players, you're also getting some of your casual Magic players that are just wanting to come out and just are just as excited for the new set as you are. And so we just ask that you try and keep that in mind as you're heading into uh, your pre-release weekend. Um, And lastly, we do have a brief discussion on what we think, uh, how we think this new uh, cards and new card type will affect uh, the constructed scene. I personally want to know, right now I'm playing five color, mid-range, the Bring to Omnath deck and Pioneer, and I'm wondering how Bring to Light is going to be uh, affected with battles, if I can play the backside of a battle. Uh, To be uh, discussed, not sure uh, your thoughts on that, Alex, but I'm just, you know, jazzed to see some of these cards are going to affect play i think in particular the set doesn't look like a set that's going to hit modern but i think it is a set that is going to really change the way that pioneers played for sure and
1: standard of course if people still care about that format
0: oh yes i mean standard for sure is going to be shaken up no doubt but uh you know what do you think you have any brief thoughts on uh how we might see uh changes to construct So I don't know how the bring-to-light
1: interaction works with battles offhand. Uh, I haven't done my due diligence on that part yet, uh, because I've been very busy. You got time. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to find out at some point, and I'll let you all know when I do. Uh, Other than that, I think that, like, if there's, like, a couple cards I've mentioned here and there that I think are constructed playable, but for the most part, I honestly don't know. How this set is gonna affect it i think uh we could see the rise of a non-greece fang deck in pioneer that's not playing siege rhino and is just playing valley and the get Rog monster instead
0: i've been curious to put that it may be bad maybe bad but i've been really thinking of right we've seen a couple variants of humans of bant humans of four color humans Thalia and the get Rog monster is uh in fact a human And I don't think that that's probably the best shell, but I think that there is already shells developing around Glissa, and I think that Thalia and the Get-Rog monster might be another reason to splash Thalia and and, uh, splash the white for Thalia and Get-Rog because they're both two houses that you can't really block and can't really swing into. Yeah, I mean, that
1: all makes sense to me. I am admittedly more out of the loop on Constructed, than you are. So I usually defer to you for this sort of thing. I'm just here to be the pretty little limited player and the judge.
0: (laughs) Well, uh, on that note, uh, for those that have tuned in to our first podcast, it is a little long with us introducing ourselves, but we do uh, appreciate your support. Uh, let us know uh, if you have any comments or feedback about, uh, this first episode and things that you might want to hear in the future. This is uh, trigger on the stack. Your podcast for uh, paper play, limited uh, and uh, constructed. Thanks so much, and uh, you know, come back again. Bye. As we wrap up, I want to thank Nancy Steroids for creating our intro and outro music, and thank MTG Chicago for helping edit our podcast. Thanks so much, and give us a listen again soon.